Well, good morning again. I'm Jeff. I'm going to bring, uh, spend some time in the Word. I, you know, I really want to let these women's testimony of having encountered God in worship and in truth, in spirit and in truth, encountering God's Word and responding and finding then that in there there's some yeses, there's some steps, there's some, I want to let that preach this morning. Did it preach to you this morning? Yeah. And it didn't necessarily have to just be women, did it? It didn't have to be a women's conference. It had to be women who were ready to listen, people who were ready to listen to God. Well, that's because we've been in this year of yes, and we've been in a Finding Your Yes sub-series. This is the last in our Finding Your Yes sub-series, and I don't want you to leave our sub-series without having said, did I find some yeses? Did I know, did I, did I get that my purpose in life is not to find my purpose in life? My purpose in life is to find what my yeses are, to be on a journey of finding out what are the things that God's put within me that I need to say yes to, that I need to be committed to, that I need to be a part of. And so this is the last one. It's called Finding Your Yes. And this morning, I want to talk about heart. I want to talk about finding your yes by finding your heart. And maybe we should have started this sub-series this way. I don't know. But we, you know, we're certainly going to end it this way. We're going to talk about the idea of heart. Because here's a truth that I found, and I've probably said it to you before uh, in one-on-one conversation. Here's a truth that I found in, in 30 years of pastoral ministry. People do what they want. In other words, where we live, what we do, what really comes out of us, in the end, is what is in our hearts. The hearts are the things that drive what we do, the faithfulness that we have. And I know it's a negative thing to say, people do what they want. Like, you hear the negative in that? People people are going to do what they want. Well, it is true, and it's negative, but it's also true in the positive. Our hearts are required for the journey, And faithfulness and discipline and self-sacrifice and commitment and leaning into the Lord and responding, all of that, friends, has to come out of our hearts. Are you with me on that? Because people do what they want. God has put stuff in our hearts and all the good stuff, anything we're really going to actually do is going to come out of what's in our hearts. God set it up this way. He put stuff in there. And so our hearts are going to be necessary in finding our yes. Here's the big idea for my few minutes that I have with you this morning. Here's my big idea. Finding your yes is finding what God has put in your heart and then being true to it. We've talked a lot about the different ways that you find your yes, but one of the ways is definitely saying you've got to bring your heart with you. You've got to go into your heart and find out what God has put there, and then you've got to be true to it. And I hear a problem already because being true to yourself or true to your, that's most of the time is just a big old fat cop out. Well, I'm just being true to myself. You know, I was a jerk today, but I was being true to myself. Or I don't love that person anymore, and so I broke up with them, and I'm just being true to myself. Well, I, want, I don't want you to be true to yourself. I want you to be true to what God has put in you. That's what we're really talking about here. That's when we're talking about getting in touch with our hearts. We're talking about finding our yes is finding about what God has put in our heart and then being true to it. Being true, living, actually living into what God has put in your deepest places is the key. It's the key to finding your life purpose, calling, significance, identity, yeses. Finding what God's put in your heart and then being true to it. Our our heart is absolutely required on this journey. What would we do? How would we do this Jesus thing if we didn't bring our heart on the journey, really? And some of you go, 
I kind of get that. I've, I've been doing the Jesus thing. I've been doing the, the church thing for 20 years. I never really brought my heart on the journey. In fact, it's such a tragedy that most of the time, Christianity, evangelical Christianity, is sort of proposed that it's, it's more just an intellectual set of precepts that you believe. You come to believe in those things. And we call it faith. You come to believe that those are true. So we say you have faith in those things. But the heart has always been sort of cast onto the side. It's like, well, I believe all the right stuff, so I'm there. This is why we have a mission statement that says we, that we're going to engage with the spiritually hungry. That means all of us and people who aren't in this room right now in our county. We're going to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ. That is what? What's the first word we use? You know it? Inspired, intelligent, and involved. It's inspired. It's heart stuff. It's intelligent. Of course it's intelligent. We're going to think through this through. We're going to deal with doubt. We're going to be honest intellectually. Of course. And of course it's involved. We're going to have hands on. We're going to do some stuff. But it's inspired. There's a heart piece to it. How could we do the Jesus thing without heart? So we say in our mission statement that we exist to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that is inspired. It's a heart thing. It's not just the facts and the intellectual assent. It's not just the morals and the do's and don'ts. Man, what a boring place we would be if we were people who we said, believe all these things and then do a couple of things and then that's all you got to do. None of us, by the way, would come because people do what they want. We're supposed to bring our heart on the journey. One of my favorite quotes from a book uh, written by John Eldridge, he says this, our, rat- our rationalistic approach to life, our rationalistic, just the intellectual part, our rationalistic approach to life, which has dominated Western culture for hundreds of years, has left us with a faith that is barely more than fact-telling. Modern evangelicalism at its worst can read like an IRS tax form. It's true, all the data is there, but it fails to take your breath away. Our God, who has put stuff in our hearts, when he speaks and then we respond and we live out of and we live true to what he's put inside of us, it's breathtaking life. And we cannot settle for anything less than that. In fact, what would we have to give a broken and lost world if we settle for less than that? Our hearts are absolutely required on our journey. Again, the only real change, the only real growth, the only real commitment and perseverance and sacrifice and self-denial and movement comes from the heart. We know heart's important. It's all over our culture. We may say, she has a heart for this, or he's brokenhearted, or we call the thing at the center, right? We call it the heart of the matter. Something who's gone all out, we say they've put their heart into it. And people suffer heartache. They lose heart. They talk heart to heart. Some soldiers are called brave-hearted. Some liberals are called bleeding hearts. I love it. Many loving people are recognized as being big-hearted. It's all over our culture. We understand the heart is required for a significant journey. And man, it is all over the scriptures. God has given us a new heart. These are all right out of scriptures. The hearts are discerning. Hearts have integrity. Hearts are fully devoted. Hearts are fully committed. Hearts are responsive. Hearts are undivided. God's laws are written on our hearts. The eyes of the heart are enlightened so that we can know the hope to which we've been called. We decide what we should give in our hearts. You recognize in some of these Bible verses, if you've read the Bible, hearts all through it. We confess with our mouths, Romans says, but we believe in our hearts that God raised them from the dead, and that's why we're saved. The Lord opens hearts, the Lord changes hearts, the Lord searches hearts, the Lord knows our hearts, God circumcises our hearts. Go do that study, that's awesome. Our hearts can be right or not right before God. 
Some people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. With each other, we're one in heart. What's in our heart comes out of our mouths. The pure in heart see God. We love him with all of our hearts. We serve him with all of our hearts. We seek him with all of our hearts. And Proverbs 4 says, above all else, we guard our hearts, for out of it comes all of life. I think I just succeeded in giving you about 35 Bible verses in my sermon. Our hearts are absolutely required. The big idea is finding your yes is finding your heart. It's about figuring out what God has put inside your heart and then being true to it. Our hearts are required for the journey. I'm going to give you a list. You're going to take some notes. And then, right? Did you see I didn't give you a choice? And then um, you're going to go study this on your own. But I want to talk uh, about the biblical teaching and then a couple practical applications about finding your heart and living true to it. Here we go. Here's some biblical teaching. First, love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. You're like, wait, that's in the Bible? Kind of. Love God and do what you want. Psalm 37.4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Remember Ben, right, after surg- right before his surgery and he was all doped up, he quoted this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what this verse really means if you look at it and you're careful and you parse it. It means you love God. You delight yourself in the things of God. You devote yourself to God. You lean into God and he will not give you everything you want. Look at it carefully. He will give you the desires that your heart could have, should have, that are in your heart. He will give you the desires that will be in your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and God's going to put desires in you. He's going to give you heart. And so I'm being facetious, but I'm saying that the biblical teaching says you love God and you do what you want. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you can live out of your heart. You can live out of what you want to do. You can live out of your desires because God's put those desires in you. Remember the big idea? The big idea is you find your yes by figuring out what God's put in your heart and then being true to it so we get to live out of our hearts. Man, the world is so longing for passionate people who live deeply motivated out of their passions and their desires, the stuff that God's put inside of them. It's not unfamiliar language for us. That, that of course, was Psalm 37. Matthew 22, I don't have it on the screen, I don't think, but Matthew 22, Jesus, where Jesus was talking about the greatest commandment. Remember what he said? He said, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, right? Remember this? He starts with heart. And then he says, in soul and mind and strength. You love God with everything you have. And he said, then love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, and all the law and the prophets will hang on these two commandments. Everything else is going to follow. You love God with all of your heart and then everything else is going to follow. You love God and do what you want. And I preach that as the top message of the biblical teaching because I think we often, well, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but we, we just go, I, I can't really live out of my heart. I think I'm just supposed to like do some good stuff. It's about duty and it's about obligation and it's about morals and it's about feeling crummy about myself. And that's Christianity. I love it. Well, the key is to find what's in our heart and then be true to it because God's put ourselves in our hearts and has put stuff in our hearts. So you love God and then you do what you want. The rest is going to follow. And I know many of you, if you're astute biblically, you go, but I don't really do what I want because didn't Jeremiah say the heart is desperately wicked? It's deceitful? He did. 
I think God spoke through the prophet and said that. He goes, hey, your heart, man, it's going to deceive you. It's wicked. You can't trust your heart. That, friends, is the old news. Because here's the second point, the biblical teaching. You've been given a new heart. See, the old news is without Jesus' redemption, without Jesus' restoration and regeneration and new birth, without being born again, no, you can't trust your heart because God has not, by his Holy Spirit, here's the subpoint of this point, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have a new heart. You're a different, cre- you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Come on, is that not good news for anybody? So you can't. The Holy Spirit now dwells in your heart, and so you can live out of the desires that God has put in your heart. Listen to Ezekiel, and and this is Ezekiel. This is still Old Testament, but Ezekiel's promising what is to come. Listen to this text in Ezekiel 36. It's on the screen. For I'm going to take you out of the nations, he says, and I'm going to gather. This is back when Israel was in exile. They were lost. And you picture the metaphor of Israel wandering around lost, having been unfaithful to God, not being in God's blessing and promised land, and being away from the center of God's will. You understand that Israel's story is a picture, it's a metaphor for our journey spiritually, right? So they're lost. They're far away from God and his blessings. And he says, well, I'm going to come take you out of being in exile. I'm going to gather you from all the countries, and I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols and all of the ways that your heart has gone out to other things and all of the false loves that you've had and all the ways that you've been lost and dirty and marred and shameful. I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to cleanse you. Okay, come on now, good news, good news? So good news. And then he says, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. With his spirit in us, to move us, to follow him, our heart now is inclined and our desires are inclined to live in obedience to God. Do you know that about you? You're like, man, not my heart. You know what? Not your old heart, but your new heart, full of God's spirit to move you. Well, what you're experiencing is my third point in the biblical teaching. Your flesh is still putting up a good fight, but it's not you. Read Romans 7. Paul talks all about it. Man, the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, this I do. When I try to do something good, evil's right there with me. What, you know, he goes on, like, this is crazy because his flesh keeps, but he goes, but when I do what I don't want to do, it's not me who does it, it's sin living in me that does it. But my heart is new, and I've been born again, is what the biblical teaching is. Your flesh puts up a good fight. Galatians 5, 16 and following, Paul tells the Galatian church, so I say, walk in the spirit. Remember, that's the spirit inside us. That is the renewal of our heart. It's the new heart. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh is putting up a good fight. But if you walk in the Spirit, you walk by the Spirit, you will not, what does it say, friends? Read the text with me. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You don't have to live that way. The real you does not have to live that way. So we can live out of, we can find what's in our hearts because the battling of the, of, of the flesh that's trying to deceive us and lie and do all kinds of junk. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to do that stuff. 
For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, you think, and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are, are not to do whatever you want. Actually, there's a better translation probably, and you go back and forth depending on which, what verses you're reading. It says, or you don't do what you want. The point is, you've got this conflict of nature, so you can't, he's just saying, you can't just willy-nilly just do one thing because you've got flesh battling, and so maybe it's going to come out of your flesh. You can't willy-nilly do something else. You can't willy-nilly just, you know, because, um, you, you have to, well, go back to verse 16. Here's the point. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you walk by the Spirit, you can live out of your heart. If you walk by the Spirit, you can do what your passion and desires are. That text goes on, by the way, to say, oh, um, and the desires of the flesh, the fruit of the, of the flesh, the sinful nature, they're obvious it says. And it goes through this really impressive list of your life. In other words, if you live out of your heart and that stuff's coming out, you're not going to be deceived by that, friends. Sinful nature stuff, fruit of the Spirit's different. You know it. It's obvious. And you confess it, and then you walk by the Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Okay, i got to finish. Last biblical teaching here is you could be a poser if you want to. So you love God and do what you want. You've been given a new heart. Your flesh still puts up a good fight, but you don't have to give into that. But you can still be a poser if you want. You can still actually pretend to be a person of heart and not really live according to your heart. The text I have is Matthew 15, where Jesus is talking to Pharisees. And he's talking about a specific kind of instance, but then he ends his conversation with them by saying, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You're actually not desiring to be obedient to God. You're just filling some sort of a duty or some sort of a tradition or some sort of a rote obedience. You hypocrites, he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts stay away from me. Worship, they worship me in vain. They're not pleasing me. They're not communicating to me. Their teachings merely human rules. We can be posers if we want. We've been given a new heart, but we can keep our heart far away from God if we like the safety of tradition, if we like the safety of distance from God, if we like the safety of looking like we're Christians and he's our Lord, but we don't really want to know what he has for us to do and to be. You can pose all you want. It's the only thing that ticked Jesus off. Hypocrites. He loved people who sinned boldly and didn't believe and weren't ready to make God their king. He loved those people. He had grace all day long for those people, but the people who pretended that they were there but had no intention of giving their hearts to God, he was like, you hypocrites. What are you wasting your time for? That intense? God forbid that would be us. That we would honor him with our lips, but our hearts would remain far from him. But we can do that if we want. Some of us stay far away because it's scary. Some of us stay far away because, frankly, just easier. I don't know what my yes is. We went through a whole finding your yes, and you haven't come up with one yes. How have we not come up with one yes? It's easier, isn't it? I'm preaching this stuff, man. I'm like, well, what about me this week? What am I doing? I don't know. I got to work on my sermon. It's easier. We stay away. And some of us, some of us, 
Some of us don't want to risk getting close to him and giving our hearts to him and living out of our hearts because we don't want to risk the disappointment. Because some of us have cried out to God for healing and some of us have cried out to God to see his power and his work. Some of us have cried out to God that we want to live for him and we've not seen change. We haven't seen things happen. We haven't been able to um, deal with the grief. Man, but God's grace will abound in us. It doesn't change what we're called to do. Love God. Find out what's in our heart. Draw close to him and be true to it. Well, just write these down. So I'm going to finish now. In fact, Ben, you can come up and we'll just write these last words down. So how do you go find what's in your heart? First, be filled. You're going to ask God to fill you with his spirit. Now, the truth is because... The truth is that he's given you a new heart by the spirit in you. When you said yes to the salvation through Christ, he, his spirit came to dwell in you. You have the Holy Spirit if you have said yes to salvation in Jesus. But that doesn't change the fact that we say then to God, more of you, God, want more of you. More and more and more was a song we sang earlier. Come fill me, God, with your spirit. Come fill me all the way like anywhere that I've quenched you or turned away from you. More of you, God, more of your spirit, more of an awareness of your spirit, more of your heart, more, right? There's more, more, more. And so we ask God to be filled. Luke chapter 11. It's quoting Jesus. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And don't you love the ancient language? That's their analogies. Verse 13, if you then, though you're just an evil human, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's waiting to pour out the fullness of his spirit on you every single day. How do you get in touch with what God's put in your heart? How do you get in touch with this heart that God has given you so that you can live out of it? Be filled, be filled, be filled. And then here's a sub-point. It's the same point. Be filled and then guard the filling. Guard the filling. I've quoted Proverbs early in the sermon. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4 says. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. So we're filled and then we guard our heart and we guard its filledness so that then we find that when we're full and we're not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature, we're full and we're staying right in the center of God's will, we can then out of that will come life. It will come our desires, will come our yeses, right? I mean, out of that, we're gonna, we're gonna start hearing the, 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 the God stuff, the calling and the purpose and the longings that are inside. So we guard our hearts. We, fill, we, we ask to be filled and then we guard our hearts. And that, friends, is just daily, 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 moment by moment, walking in the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says, confessing our sin, saying, I want nothing that's not from you, God, and all of you in me. Confess out with the bad and in with the good. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Two, be quiet. Be reflective to what is happening to you. Art preached about learning to hear the voice of God. Beware of the spectacular, for God speaks in the still, small voice. 1 Kings 19. 
listen. Listen. Quiet, reflective, what's inside you? We actually go, man, I don't know what's in my heart. I got all this stuff going on. You know, it actually, for these women to get on an airplane, go to one conference, they were there from Friday night to Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, like God said all kinds of stuff to them. They listened. I have this weird thing that sometimes people will say to me, how are you? And I realize, I don't know. Do you have that? I don't know how I am. I haven't thought about it. I haven't been reflective. I haven't been quiet. I have no idea. And you may have asked me that somewhere along the lines, and then you see me like, like little tears were squirting out of my eyes. I'm like, I'm realizing I'm not well, and you're actually asking, but I haven't thought about it till right. I mean, you, you don't know that, but I, I, I haven't thought about it until right now. Be quiet. Be reflective. Third, be in the Word. So you can test whether what you hear from God is consistent with the truth, the revealed truth of who he is. How do you even understand how God thinks, how God works, what God feels, what the kingdom of God looks like and doesn't look like? How do you even know that? It's the full counsel of the word of God. So be steeped in the word of God so that when you begin to feel stuff and understand what's in you, you can compare that. Oh, that's actually the fruit of the sinful nature. Or yes, that lines up with God's heart. So be in the word. For be aware of what you know God can do. All right, let me focus on this for just a sec. You guys all right? Everybody all right? Here we go. Be aware of what you know in your heart God can do. You know how you're aware of it? Because he's done it in your life and in your story. You've seen it done. Be aware of what you know God can do because when you're aware of what God can do, then there are yeses in that for you. I wish I had time for illustrations. I wish I had time for you to I, you know, talk about my wife who, who her journey as a woman to get past shame, to get into the place of understanding her beauty before God, to get past the place of comparison, to get past the place of belittling herself or to see God set her free week after week, month after month, year after year, to understand the love of the Father. She knows God can set women free. Is it any wonder that her yes is like, I want to gather women, I want them to hear this freedom. I heard that in Christine's message. I heard that in Marlene's message. God's been doing this in me, and my yes is coming out of it. You understand? Be aware of what you know God can do, because you've got a yes in that, I bet, because it's part of your story. If you're in recovery, you know that your higher power can set you free from your addictions. And so your yeses, they're built into your program, but they're also built into your heart, right? You're like, i got to help some people. You with me? Be aware of what you know God can do. And then last, be aware of what you know God hasn't done yet. Be aware of what you know God hasn't done yet. Because what God hasn't done yet, there's calling on your life. You can't stand the fact that the neighbors next door don't have peace. You can't stand the fact that your husband is, is, is living with his addiction or with his compulsion. You can't stand, these are things that you're like, God hasn't shown up yet and I can't stand it. You know what? God hasn't shown up in all kinds of places and you can kind of stand a lot of them, right? You're like, I don't even ever think about X or Y or Z. Wow, that is a problem. I don't know why I don't think about it because your calling is coming out of, your yeses are coming out of some stuff that you're very aware God hasn't done yet. If you're aware God hasn't done something and you find yourself on your knees begging God to come through, show up in this area, God, my guess is you've got a yes in that area. 
Okay, I took way too much time. We're going to go five minutes late today because we cannot not worship God. We cannot not cry out to him and ask for his spirit, ask for his reflection, ask for his leading us into the places of our hearts. So let's stand together and let's respond in worship to the Lord over these songs.